0: Okay. Anyway, let me just just remind ourselves of the end of of uh, Ruth three. Um, I'm not going. I really am not going to go into the detail that James did last week. He did that so well. There's there's no need for me to do that. Um, so let, let's let's pick up pick up at this very unusual cultural moment in verse fourteen. So Ruth lay at his feet. That is Boaz's feet. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> One thing I could not be although no, there are two things that I could not be. One is a dentist, and the other is a chiropodist. <laughs> I really could not do that. Uh, top and toe are out. Anything in the middle, maybe okay. <laughs> anyway. Ruth lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. we in a male domain here. He also said, bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. And she did so. And he poured into it, you can imagine her holding this out. He poured into it six measures of barley and, and put it on her. So she was sort of carrying it on her back, I would think, something like that. Then, probably a bit ambiguous of it, Ruth went back to town. Ruth came to her mother in law. When Ruth came to her mother in law, Naomi said, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. One of the the things I do in in this this age of, of blogs and everything, I follow a blogger called, uh, oh, let me expand. it's a Greek word, Jim. Uh, sofidso. I, it needs voter or council or something like that. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yep, excellent. Well, I, I, I follow him. He's, he's uh, Ian Paul, who is an Anglican theologian, a really brilliant guy, and he has, he has so many good things to say, um, and I really enjoy reading his blogs. And one of the things that he is dealing with, as of course a lot of evangelical Anglicans are dealing with at the moment, is is what's going on in their church. And he says, and I think he's absolutely right, that the crucial issue is not all this blessing and, and, and the rest of the stuff that's going on. The crucial issue is the authority of the word of God. That's the issue. Because you have a problem, how do you tackle that problem? You tackle that problem with the foundations that you've already laid. And the foundations that are laid are the word of God. So they go through uh, the, the sort of laws, and canon laws of the Church of England, etc, etc. Stuff I don't understand. But when you come down to the very base, it's the authority of the word of God. That's The issue, not just on the current controversial subjects, but on any issue, and it's the issue for us. It's the authority of God's word. We don't acknowledge in our stream of churches that sort of human authority that has authority, whether or not it's of God. Everything is tested to the word of God, and the local church, us, has authority the authority, if you like, using that word again, to pursue what we believe to be the word of God teaches us. No one, but no one is telling us from outside what to do. We invite in ministries, but they come by invitation, and then what they say to us, we weigh as elders and as church. And if somebody came to us and and we said, we don't don't go with that, we wouldn't go with it. But we do acknowledge, if you like, wider ministries and we honour them and we respect them and we're prepared to listen to them. But ultimately, our authority is the word of God and as the Holy Spirit leads us. Now, I believe Boaz was a man that wanted to follow the word of God. And that was crucial for him. Now, let's understand that we're talking about the time of judges here. So the only part of the word of God that could have existed would have been the first five books and maybe an account of what Joshua had done. And let's be honest, we don't know how that was all put together. Whatever we think about all the shit and all this stuff, don't worry about it. But we, we, that's all the word. He would have had the law. He would have had what had been delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. He would have had a record of the journeys of the people of Israel through the the wilderness, through the desert. And actually, in Ruth, we see quotations from Deuteronomy. So however much of the word that Boaz personally had and knew, he, I believe, was a man that wanted to be faithful to what God said in his word. Now we've got all sorts of cultural problems with what's going on because it is so different to us. We live in a a highly individualistic society where people make their own choices and where today it's getting even more individualistic. You be who you think you are, be self-fulfilled. If you want to be a cat... Be a cat. That's what they're telling some kids. (laughs) Meow. Whiskers for me, if you don't mind. (laughs) But it's this sort of self-fulfilling society. Highly, highly individualistic. And their society, the way they, they understood themselves, they took their identity from the group, from the tribe, from the family. We, we find that ever so hard to get our heads around. So Boaz, in faithfulness to what he believed God was saying, and in faithfulness to the fact that his family had seen Naomi and Ruth arrive back from Moab, He wanted to be faithful in that context to the word of God. So what can we say? I'm just going to look at Boaz then. Well, first of all, having said that about culture, I don't think essentially we've changed as human beings down the centuries. I think Boaz had fallen in love with Ruth. That sounds highly individualistic. I don't think he just wanted to do his duty. I think he really wanted to marry her. He wanted her to be his wife. I think that was his personal modification. So, yes, he was being faithful, as we'll see, to the word of God. But I think he really wanted to be with Ruth. Otherwise, you know what he could have done? He could have said no. And she would have spit in his face. And he'd had his... Well, this, this is what the law said, and the sandal would have been taken off. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, he really wanted, he really wanted that. But, of course, he discovered in the sequence of things. Do you remember? Her whole kinsman-redeemer thing. Well, if, your brother, if, your brother was, if the, brother, the brother died, if the other brother was married, he couldn't, you went through the uncles, and then you went through the nephews, the cousins. And through this chain, suddenly, Boaz appears. Oh. But actually, there was someone else before him in the line. So he's going to have to deal with that. But I think he'd really fallen in love, in that sense, with Ruth. And secondly, we'll come back to that in a minute. Secondly, he was an honourable man. He did not take advantage of Ruth. He could have done. It was a very patriarchal society. He could have done. But he was honourable. He did not take advantage of her. What do we hear about, fellas, these days a lot? We hear a lot about toxic masculinity. In other words, about men who are quite ready and willing to, in various ways, abuse ladies. Let's put it politely, We hear a lot about that. That was not Boaz. Guys, here is an example of a man that we need to follow. Someone who honours the word of God and is honourable in himself. The church should never, ever be a place where there's toxic masculinity. Never. We have just started a small youth group. It's all girls at the moment. Fine, wonderful. Praise God. Excellent. Praise God for those that did that on Thursday night. Thank God for it. But what's our hope? That young people, young men and women, will grow up to acknowledge and follow Jesus. And for the guys, that means being a good example of manhood. Now let's not stereotype manhood to say that you've got to love football and particularly Norwich City <laughs> or Ipswich or whatever. You know, why can't a man like, like making, sewing? Why? Who says that he can't? Of course he can. Let's, yeah, and some people think, oh, that's, that's effeminate. No, it isn't. Let's have... The, we're, we're stereotyping if we think that. We are. But let's make sure that the men, the manhood we project is God's version of masculinity. Ladies, listen to this. Encourage your husbands in it if you're married. Encourage us all if you... You know, what, if Whatever. Oh, there's something going on in the front here. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel is being encouraged down here. <laughs> okay. We, we need well rounded masculinity in the church. You know, Steph Liston in his book on gender equality has a little aside piece and he says, What is it with men and prayer meetings? Now, I don't think that applies here, thank God. But you go to many churches, you go to a prayer meeting, it's mostly women. Why, for goodness sake? We should, as men, be taking our place. Praise God, I think that happens here. But let's not pat ourselves on the back, fellas. We need to keep it up. And ladies, please keep praying as well. So he was an honourable man. And as I've said, he then, he honoured the word of God. He respected it. He was a kinsman redeemer, but there was someone who down that sort of line of progression that was nearer. And so he knew that that had to be sorted out. He wasn't going to twist the word of God or interpret it to his own benefit, and saying, "Mm, well, I have a right to it. I don't care about whatever his name is. I don't care about him. I'm going to have Ruth anyway. He wasn't going to twist the word of God like that. And that's why Naomi could say to Ruth when she got home, he's going to settle the matter today. And he's going to settle the matter according to the word of God. He's not going to say... Ah oh, well, conscience changed. The position's changed. Let's 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 interpret the word differently, so that it, it makes puts the advantage on me. No. He was going to do exactly what he believed God had said, and you can read it in Deuteronomy. He wasn't going to change the word of God. He could have reinterpreted it. but he refused to do that so he wasn't, going to take the, he wasn't going to take the word of God and make it acceptable to himself which is what we can easily do we can, so I don't like that bit let me pass over that Paul didn't really mean that did he? After all, we're in the 21st century, aren't we? Surely that was only culturally relevant then, wasn't it? And if we're not careful, we can make the word of God acceptable to us. Now, of course, the hot topic is marriage. And that's what Ian Paul is, is blogging about a lot, Of obviously, as an Anglican. The hot topic is marriage. And out of compassion and a longing that others find a place, there are those who are attempting to redirect the word of God to make God's blessing different so, when, what he says what does the Bible teach about marriage simply this marriage and this is Jesus teaching Jesus made it abundantly clear marriage is between a man and a woman for life and that is the place where sexual intimacy occurs and nowhere where else pretty clear now, oh please hear me marriages fail men, women make mistakes, we've all done things we perhaps should not there is healing, there is forgiveness, divorce is not the unforgivable sin hear what I'm saying but the clarity of of what Jesus says is this. A man leaves his parents, is joined to the woman, they are married for life in a faithful, monogamous relationship and that is the place for sexual relationships. Nowhere else. That is ever so counter-cultural. You watch a film... You watch a film, and often the man and the woman are in bed within ten minutes. And then it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. Why? Because that's the way society is. And we get so used to it. We're not outraged by it. Why does God say that? Why does Jesus say that? Not, not to penalise us not to restrict us, but so that we can flourish, so that we can be the people he wants us to be, so that we can have security, so that we, we can be together. Now, if this is controversial to you, I'm happy to talk about it. But that's, that's the way it is. So any relationship, any sexually expressed relationship outside of that is not what God wants whether it's a man or a woman or two men or two ladies that's not what he wants because this is the hot topic and Ruth and Boaz wanted to get married but this, this this is relevant again listen listen if someone walks through the door or two people walk through the door I don't care what relationship they're in I really don't I just want people to come here to feel loved accepted welcomed, cared for nurtured whatever I don't care whether a person comes in and he or she has got two heads I don't care but what I do care is that we stay faithful to the word of God and I say you are welcome here but this is what we believe I don't condemn you. How can I condemn anybody when I am here by the grace of God? I can't do that. How can I criticise somebody? Do you know, some of my brothers and sisters, not in this church, but they put things on Facebook and it sounds so hard and harsh and judgmental. And I think, please back off. I want to love these folks. We want them to feel welcome. But we say, if you want to flourish, if you want to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be, then let's help you to move from where you are into a biblical position. And I'm not going to criticise you if you fail. I've failed enough. If you, if you try, fail, I have, let's, we'll pick you up again and still walk with you. I want to be that's the way we need to be inclusive you're welcome here and we want you to be part of of what what we are but we want you to come into the place that god wants you to be so if you're an unmarried man and woman living together we even with kids we want that put right why not just because it's in the word which it is but because we, we would long for you to flourish. Dear friends of ours, they became Christians. Anton and Alon, they're in South Africa now. Beautiful, beautiful couple. They were living together, and one became a Christian, and then very soon after, the other became a Christian. And they knew straight away that their position was not what God wanted. Now that was unusual, sometimes you have to help people, teach people, it takes a long time. But they knew. And they came to us and said, we're living together, but we want to assure you we've moved into separate bedrooms. And our wedding, which was going to be 18 months ahead, we've now brought forward to three months ahead. And that was, and I tell you what, God has honoured them greatly. Their ministry, and they're now in South Africa, their ministry is magnificent. Now, that's unusual. But that was the teaching of the Holy Spirit to them directly. We actually thought they were a married couple when they first came to us. And actually, they could have got away with fooling us. But they didn't. And that was wonderful. And now they're flourishing they've got in the position where God wants them to be and someone who is let's say same sex attracted saying, but I won't flourish yes you will yes you will it may be rough it may be tough it may be difficult but you'll flourish you will and in all of this if you're single let me say this because I've now gone right off piece, no no, no, no. not worry. If you're single, let's say this, singleness is as much a gift of God as being married. And you do not reflect less the image of God because you're single. And actually, according to Paul, you're in a privileged position in some way. Now, I know that sounds... You might say, that's easy for you to say you're married. Yeah, it is. It is. And some of us are single because now we've lost our our partners. But it's easy for you to stand up there and say that. I realise that. But God wants you, as a single person, to flourish. And I guess... It didn't happen, of course, but I guess if Boaz had refused uh, Ruth, Ruth would have still flourished. That's mere speculation. But that's the hot topic. And Boaz wanted to do it God's way. And that's all we're saying. Pray for us. Pray for us all together as a church. We want to do things God's way we don't want to be hard we don't want to be judgmental we don't want to criticize we don't want to pull people down, we want to pull people up we want this to be a place where people flourish and say, see how these Christians love one another and I tell you what, I am only in the position I am and you are only in the position you are because of the grace of God. It's all of grace. That's one of our values. It's a biblical value. It's grace. It's grace that brought me to Jesus. I thought I knew God before I became a Christian. I didn't. I didn't even know when I met Jesus that it was grace. But it was. It was grace that taught my heart to fear what I was like. And it was grace that relieved me of my fear when I came to Jesus. And that's the same for you. It was the grace of God that brought you to Jesus. It is the grace of God that has kept you ever since. It is the grace of God that has led led you and kept you day by day. It is the grace of God that you were born again by the Spirit and now led by the Spirit. It is the grace of God that he gives us spiritual gifts which are charismata which are gifts of grace it is the grace that God that has brought us safe thus far and I tell you grace will lead us home as it led Ruth to a, an earthly home that was grace grace may not have called it but it was grace and grace will lead us home and that's where some of our number now are they may be asleep may wait for the resurrection let's put all that out of our mind it was grace that taught my heart to fear initially and it's grace God's unmerited, undeserved, unlooked-for, wonderful, fabulous, amazing kindness and love that will get us to the destination, home. And we are part of that journey together. Well, I don't know, I've gone way off track but but I think we're on track actually I think we're on track because we're going to celebrate the grace of God aren't we? We're going to eat bread and drink wine albeit you know chopped up bread and fruit juice but there we go we're going, we're going to, to do that and that's am I okay to go on Chris? yeah <laughs> and as we do that let's just praise God for his amazing grace the grace that's kept you and has kept me and will go on keeping us because he's great let's just pray together Lord we thank you for the grace that you've shown to us we thank you that you love us so much Lord, I, I, I've wandered off into quite controversial stuff as far as society is concerned this morning. And I pray that what's of you people will hear and if there was anything that was not of you that they will forget and that we'll show grace to one another. But Lord, we just thank you for that, that wonderful kindness that you've shown to us. You, you called us to yourself. You said, you are mine. I want you. And here I, and we've come Lord because you've, you've brought us. And you've taken us to the foot of the cross and we've seen Jesus lifted up for us, taking our sin upon himself, carrying it away to the grave. We've seen his defeat of, the, of Satan and of, of death itself. And Lord, we share in a down payment of his resurrection life. We praise you, Lord God. We praise you that as we drink, as we eat the bread and drink the wine, we can remember this is amazing grace. This is what you've done for us. And whatever else we may think, whatever unites us or divides us, this is at the heart. This is where our unity is, at the foot of the cross in Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you. I'm lost for words, Lord. You're just so good. And we praise you.